welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore, a monthly podcast in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our skaven storm fiends, and our bloodthirsters from our bloodletters, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Crone Barber, and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co-host, Christopher Crallen Allen. Hello. Who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. Indeedly doodly. And my dear brother Darren. A hundred percent. <laughs> who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Hello, fellas. Heyo! 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 Kral, I have to tip of the cap, mate. You managed to get both of your cues in a timely fashion in that intro. Have you been practicing? Yeah, I'm spent now. I'm going to sit done. down and. <laughs> it's always the way, isn't it? You get to the introduction, then you have to have a rest. That's it. <laughs> oh, hello, ladies. Oh, goodbye, ladies. <laughs> Dar, how many times do you think you'll say 100% this episode? I think there's no realistic way of estimating that. <laughs> just just to put Darren's response into context, Kral tried to get Darren to not feel self-conscious about the fact that we've started taking the piss out of him for saying 100% all the time, which I personally feel was kind of counterproductive and in and of itself the thing that will make him feel self-conscious about it. So I've decided to really emphasize that. Literally five minutes ago, I said, let's not make a big deal out of Darren saying, let's make it 100%. <laughs> then <laughs> he like, said okay. it. So, you know, here it we are. It is what it is. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's see how this goes. I mean, it's a, you know, it's, it's a solid confirmation of things that have been said. You know, if you say something right, you don't want somebody to turn around and be like, yeah, 80%. You know, you want 100%, <laughs> man. Give me that 100%. <laughs> Tell me I got it all well, right. Yeah, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I really just want to, at this stage in my life, have my name associated with the concept of 100%. 100% twat. <laughs> Darren, 100% barber. <laughs> Crow, what went down last month? Let me just scroll up WhatsApp. What did Darren... <laughs> say i am literally gonna be as lazy as heck and not even apologize for this i'm just gonna rinse and repeat what darren said on whatsapp so last episode uh we recently started talking about the greenskins the orcs the goblins and the others uh and last episode we covered orcs watching over the whoa 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 whoa, whoa. or the others goblins orcs hobgoblins Noblars. More goblins. Noblars. What, what, what? Noblars. 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 Oh, th- th- yes, no, but those are the kind of, those are the flavors of goblins, though, aren't they? I mean, I'm talking about like goblins and hobgoblins. You know, the flavors, the, the different. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But they're still, they're still, you know. They're yeah, still worth mentioning. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because their name's hilarious. Ben, ben, ben s- say it again, but softer. Noblars. Noblars. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a girlfriend, I'd whisper it to her, too. <laughs> if you had a girlfriend touch my noblar it probably explains why you don't have a girlfriend it's also what people say when they want to have sex with the drummer of metallica 
<laughs> Not blast. Uh, <laughs> May I just say, boom. <laughs> it sounds more like an instruction by one of his band members to the girls. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no blast. Yeah. Right away, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kral, you were giving us a off the top of your head rendition. <clears throat> yeah, right off the top of my head. So, last episode, orcs washing over the dwarves while skaven and night goblins attack from below. Don't remember that. Human tribes are still <laughs> fractured. Dwarven caravan, including the High King, is raided by greenskins. Sigmar free... Sigmar? I mean, Sigmar. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sigmar. Oh. <laughs> I mean, Sigmar frees all... <laughs> <laughs> oh man <clears throat> my balls have finally dropped let me start that little bit again human tribes are still fractured dwarven caravan including the high king is raided by greenskins sigmar frees all and gets gal maraz the mighty warhammer ah warhammer ah we've come full circle <laughs> Sigmar destroys the orcs at Blackfire Pass. The empire is formed and Greenskin is decimated. 1500 years until the numbers swell again. And that's where we are, right? Nice. Who was it who beat the Greenskins at Black, uh, Blackfire Pass? Uh, you know. Was it Sigmar? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like he's been said through a comedy trombone. Sigmar. <laughs> Sigmar. <laughs> Sigmar. <laughs> Um, so, Darren, how good was your recap? <laughs> if you were going to put a percentage to it, I mean, it 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 was really kind of vanilla and uh, and plain. It was all about delivery. Clearly, it was lazy. You can say it. I'm, I'm, I'm I've been bloody lazy. I'm I'm on one this morning, guys. So watch it. <laughs> right. So after Kral's enthralling recap, what's that recap? <laughs> what's cap? Dar, where are we at? Uh, what I will say is I was quite disappointed in last month in terms of, I mean, I know you were explaining the history of the Orcs and it's, you know, warts and all, as it were, you know, you, you, you're educating us to it and it's all very important, but it seemed like the human show. It was like they would just... Yeah, I agree. But it's for this reason that Darren highlighted that the orcs don't keep a track of their own history and so you're learning their history is through other races isn't it so yeah but i'm hoping that there is more to the orcs than just the side of another race i'm hoping that was just look we're getting this kind of era this i guess we'll find out we're getting this part of the orc history which was a little bit bleak and a little bit defeatist out the way because it's very you know it's, it's sigma it's when he got his mighty warhammer so it's got to be mentioned but i'm hoping as we move forward there's a bit more glory and celebration of the orcs but we'll see we'll see nah <laughs> nah <laughs> okay. Yeah, it, it, it right. is the difficulty with orcs as they're defined within warhammer is that um it's very much they're the brutish bad guys. They don't keep records. They're, I mean, they have kind of oral traditions. Oh, yeah. Apart from that. <laughs> <laughs> oral traditions. Well, I tell you what, there's, pro- there's probably a squig for that. You'll be fine. Um, <laughs> it's the oral tradition squig. <laughs> a toothless squig, I hope. All gums, no teeth. Fleshlight squig. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it it's their history is tracked 
as a reflection of how they impact other races. There isn't a great mm. written or spoken tradition within the orcs. So they just sing everything. Yeah. <laughs> like a like a musical. <laughs> oh god. We are the Greenskins. <laughs> and so on. Da, 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 da. I like the way that you lost faith in that concept just as you got to the end of the first sentence. We are the Greenskins. Oh, fuck. (laughs) We are the Greenskins. Oh, this is a terrible, terrible idea. (laughs) Between the formation of the Empire, so between the Battle of Blackfire Pass and the rise of the, the next kind of most powerful Greenskin, is a space of 1,700 years. Sigmar's purge of the Greenskins was so profound and so in-depth that it took them fifteen to 1,700 years to uh, return to any kind of sizable force. That is not to say that there were no skirmishes, no battles of any significant size. I mean, we can give you three or four just now. So in the 400 years after the formation of the Empire, a huge horde of greenskins invaded Tilia, which is the mercenary hiring country based on Italy. So there was huge cries of Mamma Mia, and that's a spicy green skin. Babbity-boobity. Babbity-boop-bop. Basically, for, for 300 years, Tilia was just awash with green skins before they were repulsed. A kind of 100 years after that, Bretonia was invaded from the Grey Mountains to the west and the Apuccini Mountains to the south. And that was devastating. It really set them back hundreds of years. And it wasn't until Gilles du Breton, who is the the kind of King Arthur character of the Warhammer world, unites all of the provinces, all of the Bretonian provinces, the old dukedoms, into the country of Bretonia and routes all the greenskins from there. Now, listeners will recall, very difficult to route a greenskin. Um, much much easier to grout a reinskin. Um, <laughs> even cats. that's pretty challenging because you generally need things to be stationary for grouting. Yeah. You know? mm. uh, if we leap ahead now to the early 1100s, we'll recall from our Skaven episodes that that was at the height of the Black Plague when the Skaven, in all their kind of judicious use of good and clean utensils, caused a huge plague to decimate the Empire. It was around there in the the Drakwall Forest that a band of forest goblins took over that entire section and they created something called the Black Pit, decimated all the human settlements around that for about 30 miles in every direction. And what forest was that? The Drakwald Forest. Where's that? In the Empire. Ah, okay, right, right. At this point in the the calendar, as it were, how how developed are the human societies? This is well after Sigmar decimated the green skin hordes. So the human race is well developed now. They're no, they're they're far from being nomadic tribes. They've got you know they are at least somewhat civilized. Is that right at this point, or are they still quite broken up and? Yeah, so at the 1100-1200s stage, the Empire now is 1200 years old because the calendar is based on the founding of the Empire. 
So all the major cities are there, all the institutions that we'll see, so like the various religious temples, the warrior organizations, the knightly orders, and the various types of troop, like the great swords, and the ranks of handgunners are starting to come into the day-to-day use in the empire. So I'd say it's analogous to our kind of late Renaissance. Right. Gotcha. So the the 1500s, 1600s, very much like the English Civil War kind of idea. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. kind of level of technology is, is, is what we're looking at. Technology and civilization, but with the kind of Germanic veneer of the empire. Gotcha. Right. So if we jump ahead another 300 years, we look at the Crusades. So we're now in the 1450s, and Britonia... So uh, France, effectively, sends huge crusades against the greenskin hordes of the Badlands, but also the human empires of Araby. Do the do the empire at this stage understand that orcs are a fungal species? Do they understand that they grow from fungus? I don't know is my honest answer. Because it, it strikes me as if you're going on a crusade, then I guess generally in this context, the aim would be to to kind of wipe out the orcs or the greenskins entirely. But obviously, yeah. if you understand that they come from fungus, you would also then understand it's a pretty fruitless endeavor, would you not? Yeah, I, I, perhaps we're getting caught up on the chronology of, of when that kind of concept was brought into Warhammer fantasy. It was brought in quite late. Ah. It's like the sixth, the fifth or sixth edition, because okay. what uh, it, that concept appeared fully formed in a game called Gorka Morka, which is a 40k orc gang warfare game, which then bled into the 40k universe as a whole. And then, as I said, around the fifth or sixth edition, you start seeing references to like squigs being mushroom based life forms and being compared to you know a similar thing for orcs so yeah. what you're seeing there i think highlights the early development of warhammer as a dungeons and dragons slash lord of the rings style fantasy world where orcs were just an evil race. They weren't a mushroom-based life form. They were an actual living, breathing Where their thing. origins hadn't really been kind of fleshed out. Yes, they yeah, were just, exactly. They just were. I have to say, hats off to the, the development team at, at GW, because the idea of, you know, you've got these orcs, which are, you know, they're, they're, it's not a unique species to Warhammer. You know, it's it's been used in loads of other IPs. But to have come up with this idea that they come from a kind of a fungal life form, it's so fitting that it seems to me like it was planned from the start. Do you know what I mean? Like they 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 knew that that was the case and they wrote them. So for them to figure that out kind of after the fact, after they already created the orcs, that's a really, really clever story development, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think the real genius of the development team in Games Workshop is that they don't, they don't, I was about to say 100%, they don't <laughs> entirely fill out all the background in any way, shape, or form. Um, so they purposefully don't go into huge levels of detail 
on like racial sized things because they want to give the players of the game an opportunity to come up with their own backstories, to come up with their own, um, like in this case, tribes of orcs and origins of orcs, you know. Are you saying everything you've told us in the past 12, now 13 episodes is just (laughs) your take on Warhammer? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I would say yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm deliberately now not going to say it. (laughs) Hang on, a hundred percent. I will paste that in. I remember when I was looking at orcs in in the forty k universe, and you know, looking at them at kind of face value, and then the moment I discovered that they came from this kind of fungal life form, it casts them in a totally different light. Not only as a race, but as a threat to humanity and other races, because. How the fuck do you get rid of that? Do you know what I mean? You, I think what you said before, like the moment that a planet gets an orc infestation, that's it. Like that's it. They they're are, done. That's, yeah. they're done. You know. You- I, I also think that it defines how embedded, how kind of the rights of the orc. They're almost, you know, it's their birthright yeah. to be there more so than others. You know, they are from the earth. They are from the essence of the Warhammer planet physically itself they are grown from the planet you know they deserve to be there more so than any other race yeah they're very similar to skaven in a way they're kind of inevitable do you know so many (laughs) don't make me remind you about how blown away you were with the skaven by the end of episode 10 Oh yeah, totally, hundred <laughs> percent. I I am both intrigued and worried about learning about the orcs in the Warhammer franchise. As you know, you know my love for orcs primarily comes from the, the Blizzard Warcraft franchise, where it appears so far that their backstory and character is far different to the Warhammer orcs. And yeah. so I wonder how my love for orcs, how it will change as as we learn as we go through mm. the the orc history and stories because the skaven story is fucking cool yeah it makes sense that you would feel like you mentioned at the start of the episode that you would feel a bit kind of shortchanged by last month's episode because you know it was it's the story of essentially like a plague race who are cast Mm. as the general a general evil the general baddies told from the perspective of the people that are actually keeping historical records so it's going to be nothing yes. like the orcs that you've grown up with, grown up with as it were yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well yeah they're not misunderstood interdimensional travelers they're not kind of noble barbarians they're they're football yeah, yeah. hooligans that's effectively yeah, what yeah. they are that's what they were based yeah. on maybe i'll love them even more for it who knows anyway yeah carry now on. at this stage and i'm going to write this down i've sent an image to whatsapp which I'll include in the show notes for this episode of the original image of how an orc develops. <laughs> it's very much like the Urukai from Lord of the Rings. They're grown in the ground beneath a wow. shady rock. Wow. Beneath a shady rock. I've, I've seen some rocks in my time, but that is the shadiest rock I've ever seen. Yeah. It is literally like an excerpt from what was Charles Darwin's book? about evolution gray's anatomy Grey's anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> 50 shades uh, of green i yeah. are they mushrooms growing out the top yeah uh, behind the rock or are they spike they look like spears 
No, they're they probably mushrooms. Probably are spade mushrooms. It, it, the, yeah. the reason I say they're mushrooms is because there's an arrow pointing to them saying surface fungi. Oh yeah. <laughs> I thought they were just. I thought they were just really, really, really great guys. <laughs> Poor. Yeah. So they're they're a, they're a mob. They're a football mob of uh, yeah, mush- yeah. angry mushrooms is effectively <laughs> the orcs of Warhammer. So you're you're going to be disappointed. It's funny. That's how I see football hooligans anyway. Angry mushrooms. <laughs> just angry mushrooms. <laughs> angry mushrooms. So, I mean, just the concept of progressing and watching Chris get more and more disappointed. At, listen, <laughs> it's, it's got me half hard right now. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Sammy! <laughs> Sammy! <laughs> it's growing in the shade. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's going green <laughs> anyway to get back on topic the Bretonians on, they're on a crusade and so at the Battle of Blood River which is just south of the Grey Mountains so above the Badlands the Bretonian knights uh, and barons and dukedoms and earls and whatever else build a series of castles to hold back the hordes of greenskins that come up regularly from the Badlands. In doing so, they create the Border Princes, which is that strip Uh. of land just underneath the Empire, which really is just in a state of constant war. Wow. So really, from there, those are the kind of most notable aspects of greenskin culture or greenskin history. But there are, as I said before, folk heroes and large-scale waz, which are these huge orc greenskin horde crusade ideas. And I thought we'd have a look at a couple of them this month uh, and Mm. perhaps a couple more next month. So I thought we'd start with the second largest, or sorry, third largest orc wa, which was the wa of Gorbad Ironclaw. Uh, Rose to power in the early 1700s coming from the Badlands, from the Ironclaw tribe. So this really is one of the most northerly tribes in the Badlands. So he's right on that cusp of the Badlands to Border Princes and then into Empire. So that's the kind of geography if you're going up. So he's like on the front line. He's war hungry, is he? Or he's just in wrong place at the wrong time? It sounds like he's right on the front line, though. He is right in the front. That's where his tribes are. But to be honest, that's where orcs want to be. They want to be on the front line because fighting is an addiction Mm. for them. It makes them bigger and stronger and more powerful. Mm. So in and around the Badlands, as the listeners will be aware, are many, many tribes of orcs and goblins and hobgoblins. Not so much noblars, maybe an occasional snotling. No, they're pronounced noblars. Noblars. (laughs) You've got to whisper it seductively from here on. Just in case Lars hears. I, <laughs> I think we should get the Skaven Choir to do a, a rendition of Jimi Hendrix's The Wind Cried Mary, but change Mary to Noblar. <laughs> <laughs> so based around the Fortress of Iron Rock, which, guess what it is? It's a huge spike of iron that was erupted out of a volcano. So it's literally an iron mountain. Nice. Originally occupied by dwarves because they saw all that metal and got a little dwarf boner, but the orc said, no, that is our <laughs> iron fortress. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> so they took it over and created the iron rock fortress for the iron claws. 
The first real kind of notoriety that Gorbad Ironclaw got was when he shattered his nearest rivals, which were the Broken Tooth tribe, under the leadership of Crusher Zogoth. This is great. I love this stuff. <laughs> so it, it, it's another uh, huge orc and goblin tribe next door. He's had enough. He wants to take them over and uh, absorb as much of the tribe into his tribe as possible and therefore become even more powerful. I want your tribe in my tribe. <laughs> the things I've also said on my dating profile. <laughs> tribe on tribe action. Come on, we'll merge together like some sexy, violent mushroom risotto. <laughs> this is where Gorbad kind of moves apart from the general pack of orc mentality, which is just to charge and fight, you know, outnumber their foes and charge in. That's the only real tactic they use. So, possessed by the spirit of Mork, who is cunning but brutal, he gets his night goblin allies to unleash a colossal cave squig underneath Crusher Zogoth's encampment. So if any of our listeners have seen the new version of Dune, it's much like when the sandworm comes up and swallows the harvester. Very much like oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler. Spoiler. I mean, that also happened in the 80s version. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which basically just then turned uh, Zogoth into a smear of about 20 meters long of, uh, <laughs> of uh, blood on, and green, if you will. green kind of flesh. Scraps. So uh, looking at that, the orcs and goblins decided, you know what? Uh, Gorbad Ironclaw doesn't seem so bad. So let's uh, let's join up with him. <laughs> I thought it was a dick. And then he made that squig eat our leader. Yeah, not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> He's all right. He's okay. And people say politics have changed. <laughs> I would be so into politics if that's how it happened in the real world. <laughs> Somebody just releases a squig into the House of Commons. Whoever survives wins. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Gorbad spends the next 10 years conquering the top half of the Badlands. So from Fire Pass to Barak Var, which is the dwarven naval port, he just owns mm. all of the Badlands there. So he spends a lot of his time in the World's Edge Mountains, listeners will remember World's Edge Mountains runs almost from pole to pole uh, mm. and therefore ends up spending a lot of time punching dwarves in the face. I mean, to be honest, as most of us did in our 20s. So he, <laughs> he starts appearing in the Dwarven Book of Grudges more and more often. Uh, and when we get to the dwarves, we'll, uh, we'll cover the Book of Grudges. It's hilariously petty. <laughs> I am looking forward to that. He grows incredibly powerful, not just physically, as as orcs are wont to do when they win a lot, but also loots all the dwarven holds he can to influence more and more tribes to join under his banner, and for him to get more and more magical armor and magical weapons. So there's a great number of shamans, both orc and goblin and night goblin and savage orc shamans are attracted to his tribe because he has access to all these magical materials that were harvested out of dwarven holes. I mean, 
There's only so much one orc can wear. I'm guessing when you say he was looting all the dwarven holds, it was him and his merry army doing it. It yes, wasn't just his like tribe. I'm going to yeah. wear all this armor at once. He just came out like <laughs> <laughs> he can't move his elbows or knees. He's just waddling, wearing ten layers. <laughs> Where's the catapult? Throw me at the enemy. He was just rolled out the door. <laughs> <laughs> I am mighty. <laughs> Clunk. <laughs> just like a beach turtle on his back <laughs> they're spinning him round taking the piss like, <laughs> stop it guys so this, this so his legend grows and grows and grows and, and has hilarious tales like the time he fought and beat two giants one on one using the remains of one giant to beat the other giant to death um <laughs> Sounds legit. Jesus. He defeats dwarf army after dwarf army and eventually comes to the doors of the, the great dwarven capital of Karazakarak and goes up and punches the door, leaving marks from his great iron claw, which are still visible to this day in Warhammer. So all these battles grow his prestige was that was that all he did <laughs> after all of that he got to the door and he just <laughs> punched it and was like just dropped mike just walked away i'm peace i'm out i'm going yeah <laughs> and there was no army this time it was just him yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was just exhausted from carrying the 10 layers of armor when he got there <laughs> Boom! ah oh, that's all i've got right I've, all I've, got. I've made Boom. my point <laughs> <laughs> get me my squig Get me my de-armor squig. <laughs> Are you looking for an affordable and hearty meal while out and about in Sartosa, the tarnished jewel of Tilia? Here at Bella Corbado, we serve authentic green skin cuisine with a Tilian flair aboard the intimately atmospheric remains of Gorbad Ironclaw's own flagship, Gork's Nutcruncher. Why not try our world-renowned Snotling Pescatore? Fresh whole snotlings stuffed with seafood medley and balsamic enema. Or our equally popular Squig Risotto, made with a mouth-watering mix of cave, horned and blue cheese squigs. We are also pleased to offer two new dishes for the summer season. First is Grobe al Fungi. Through a process of very slow drowning, we infuse a goblin with Bogman six eggs and serve it with dwarven mushrooms in a horse cream sauce. Our second dish for the more daring dining experience is our never-ending Badlands Carpaccio, a half-ounce sliver of tenderized minced troll thigh that will keep you feeling full for this foreseeable future. Bella Corbado, you'll have an asshole like a dragon's nostril. We guarantee it. So in the face of all of this violence uh, and all of these defeats, you know, it should be noted at this point, Gorbad, him and his tribe are undefeated in battle against things that can move. Against doors and mountains, it's a draw, but everything else he beats. (laughs) So he decides now in uh, 1707 that he's had enough of this winkling stunties out of their dwarven holds. And he says, fuck it, let's head north. So they go through the Blackfire Pass, which is where the great battle happened, you know, 1700 years prior. So he heads up, brushing aside 
the imperial garrisons and their fortresses are there. So you've got to imagine there's a couple of hundred imperial soldiers dotted around four or five different kind of watchtowers and castles. And you have a horde of literally hundreds of thousands of greenskins of various sizes, uh, including allied ogres and giants and trolls, plus all the monsters that would follow them, like wyverns, manticores, this kind of idea, plus the forest goblins on their spiders, that kind of thing. Why the fuck are manticores and wy- wyverns, wyverns? Why are they Wyvern. Why are they with the wyverns? Why are they with the orcs? Why are they with the greenskins? There's three real ways that these monsters are tamed. One is you get an egg and you train it from when it hatches. Right. The second is that you kind of dominate, you beat the animal so that it's obedient and compliant. You know, much the way kids do with hamsters. Uh, And then you get, (laughs) you have these, uh, the monsters then, they're also attracted to battles because of all the dead bodies that they'll be able to eat. Uh, So they're very much like seagulls following a trawler. That is a fucking terrifying seagull. Yeah. <laughs> Squawk. <laughs> Squawk. I mean, you, you laugh about Darren's comment about kids, you know, beating hamsters into obedience. I have a, a friend, an old friend, and I have a memory of him. <laughs> he, him and his brother had hamsters. It might have been a pair of gerbils, actually, but anyway, some small domestic rodent thing. And they kept these two, uh, these two rodents in a metal cage, an old school like metal cage. And I went around to see them one time. And the evil bastards, right? One had soaked them. They were sopping wet, which I'm sure gerbils or hamsters do not appreciate at the best of times. And then they stuck this metal cage up against a TV, an old CRT tube TV on static. So every time these soaking wet hamsters went even close to the to their cage, their prison, zap! And they were laughing their heads off about it. Whoa. And I was just <laughs> Jesus like, Christ. Uh, I take it you don't really want these pets, because if not, I'll give them yeah. a good home, you sick Jesus bastards. Jesus Christ, that is <laughs> fucking hell. And for the uh, for the benefit of the RSPCA, his name was... No. <laughs> <laughs> Gorbad Ironclaw. <laughs> Living at... <laughs> good luck getting him. Anyway, back on topic, having successfully penetrated the Empire from its uh, bottom passage, um, the, the hordes of, the hordes of Gorbad Ironclaw promptly head north. They go up, if you'll excuse the phrase, they go up the old dwarf road. Uh, and that, I will not excuse that phrase. <laughs> so you have this huge army. Now this vast horde just heading north up the westernmost side of the empire. Again, continuously joined by more and more greenskins. And this collective, this contingent of greenskins, orcs, goblins, and ogres, and wyverns, and beasts, that constitutes the war. That is the war together. Yeah. It doesn't just have to be exclusively orcs. No, it's anything greenskin. Right, and their beasts as well. 
uh, yeah, I, I the, really. The biggest numbers are going to be orcs anyway, so anything with yeah. them is going to be as yeah, 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 classed as that war. Okay, it's okay. it's a good point, well made, because the war technically is green skin only. It's orcs and goblins of the various flavors. That's technically mm. a war. Everything else is yeah. kind of like a hanger on or a mercenary that's associated yeah, yeah. with a war, but it's not groupies. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's with the war, but not of the war. When we're using the word wa in this context, is it the same as, because my understanding of wa is that it's a, a kind of form of like psychic energy that kind of happens when you accumulate large numbers of green skins together. Are we, is that what we're describing when we're talking about a, a kind of large wa? Or is it because the way you've been using it makes it sound like it's just the name of a large force? Or is it both? Yeah, it's both. The WA is always spelt W triple A G H. Always. That's how I'd spell it. It's it's how you describe a huge conglomeration of greenskins, but it's also the magical energy that such a large collection produces, the kind of mental static, the kind of yeah. tortured hamster static that Chris was talking about <laughs> earlier. It's that kind of energy. <laughs> <laughs> and in for in forty k the oh god what they called the head splitters which is the the orc psychers they have to have a huge copper or brass rod to earth the static energy otherwise their head simply explodes. Wow, my <laughs> god! Okay. They have to ground themselves. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amusingly, I know this is wildly off topic. We're all over the place this month. Uh, one of the models of the head splitters is he's been picked up by two bodyguards and pointed like a weapon at the enemy. It's pretty funny. Pachoo, <laughs> <laughs> pachoo. So now, anyway, Gorbad leading a huge wah, which is becoming increasingly more disorganized because you've got all these rival tribes joining up under this uh, strong leader. So they camp at the elven ruins, ruins of the Three Towers, which is one of the old elven fortresses. Uh, yeah, it's one of the old elven fortresses. There was a full stop there. I don't know why I kept going. <laughs> <laughs> but this is just below. It's just below the border of the Moot, and if uh, our listeners will remember, that's the equivalent of the Shire, where the halflings the or hobbits live. So. Wagorvad, as we'll call the army, stopped at the Three Towers for three days to regroup and reorganize, and mostly to stop goblins re-stealing everything they had stolen so far, <laughs> and also then to kind of headbutt the various tribal leaders into submission and get some semblance of order going and come up with battle plans. Now, while this three-day pause was going on, it had not gone unnoticed that there was a huge fucking army of greenskins like a boil on the ass of the empire. So the Count of Averland, which was the province that they had invaded, sent out calls for emergency aid to Altdorf, to the, the emperor, Emperor Sigismund, and to neighboring elector counts to see if they could come up with a force to repulse these orcs. At this stage, they had not realized that this was the largest wah that had invaded the empire in one and a half thousand years. Did the count forget to tell them? 
said, we've got a bit of a green skin problem. Can you just send a few peeps? Yeah, yeah, yeah no worries, no worries. They were like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> That's massive. <laughs> the Count assumed that it was just a regular orc invasion. He, didn't, he himself didn't realize it was a huge army. Well, he gets whatever deserves coming to him. So Brutus Leetdorf, who is the Count of Avaland, sends the vast majority of his army to the southern borders of the Moot to shore up their defences. And at the Battle of Averdown, which is the hills around the southern border of the Moot, they were fucking decimated. They are absolutely beaten into the ground like tent pegs by Wa Gorbad. And indeed, the devastation was so large that 20-odd knights were the only survivors of an army of thousands. And these were knights wow. of the knightly order of Knights Panther. Wow. Uh, a crusading <laughs> military order and not a dodgy nightclub in Edinburgh. I was going to say, it sounds pretty <laughs> mincy. We're the Panthers. Wow. Wasn't that also the name you used to dance under? One of them, yes. Yes. <laughs> Pray tell, why did you have to change your name so much? We've been over as a this. dancer. It was more. It was because the way he danced was so offensive, yeah, and provocative, <laughs> yeah. And also, I wish the criminality I had been involved in in my younger years was as gentle as hamster torture. <laughs> <laughs> so, with the Empire army defeated, over the next two to three days, the Greenskin army ravaged the moot, killing everything <gasps> they could find. Um, not cool torturing halflings left right and center using them in what they described as small stunty games so they would have things like eating contests where an orc would have to eat as many halflings alive as possible and the winner got some sort of fancy hat (laughs) made out of halflings made out of halflings (laughs) and a halfling hamper Uh, Outside of every tent in the Greenskin encampment, you had battle barrels where unarmed, nude halflings would fight against snotlings to the death in a very much a kind of winner stays on kind of idea. Wow. Did you get any like champion halflings that earned the respect of the orcs? Yeah. And they like greened up and joined them. And they, (laughs) oh no, no. Listen, listen, listen. We can't (laughs) condone Greenface. We just can't. And we're not condoning it. It was that cheeky little halfling. I love the idea of two orcs looking at this halfling walking past, all greened up. That's offensive, that is. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the ugliest orc I've ever seen. <laughs> is that a nobbler? Um <laughs> Nobbler. Besides all the loot and the fun and games and the food that Wa Gorbad got from the moot, the, the real benefit was, unfortunately, target practice. The orc arrow boys, uh, the archers started just picking off halflings left, right and center. But also during the initial assault, a lot of halflings fled across the river Aver. You have to imagine that the empire is pretty much split in two with the river Aver turning in later to the river Reich. And it's a very wide river, lots of bridges, but a lot of these bridges were destroyed deliberately as empire armies and forces went to stop the greenskins from crossing over. So the southern provinces really were, to want of a better word, abandoned. So as these halflings were fleeing across the river in their boats, the orc artillery 
just started lobbing rocks and bolt throwers and this kind of thing at them, which allowed them to become quite accurate as we'll uh, see impacts in later battles. So glutted on the the unholy nourishment of Mootland, which is another name I used to dance under, um, <laughs> they travelled down I just, the southern... I just need to say I found that incredibly upsetting. Not your dancing <laughs> names, but the idea of the, the moot being ravaged. It was like... Like Chris yeah. and I said the other, a couple of episodes ago, this was the only sanctuary in Warhammer, yeah. and they've come in. It's like it's like sacrilege. They've stepped on holy ground. I hope I hope they got their comeuppance. I mean, some right. of the halflings, the halflings on the northern side of the moot, were able to escape, and a handful of halflings from the southern side made it across the river in one piece. But effectively, half of the moot was just wiped from the map. It was later repopulated, but they had to start from scratch. There was nothing left. I mean, you go back to your house uh, and you see that it's effectively just a a stack of runes protruding very slightly out of possibly the largest pile of orc dung imaginable. Because you never (laughs) think about that with hundreds of thousands of orcs running around the place. Anyway, moving on. Just defecating wherever they be. Yeah. Wow. So ahead of the Y, you see this bow wave of refugees fleeing towards the city of Avar. But more and more, the war machines are becoming increasingly accurate. And ahead of the Y run these huge packs of wolf riders, these goblin wolf riders. So they're hunting down refugees and killing them and uh, stealing as much as they can as they go. So you get down to the borders of the city itself. They shut their doors. And unfortunately, the war machines come to the fore again. There's initial bombardments, really accurate to weaken the defences. And then you just have this, as I've said earlier, this mass charge, this outnumber in charge. And in a single charge, they breach the walls of the city of Avar and they just go to town. They absolutely decimate the entire city. And although people are able to escape uh, once again, it's by the skin of their teeth. Quick question. Did the halflings or the refugees who left the moot and went to Ava, they were let in to the city of Ava, weren't they? Because you said yes, oh, they and were the doors let were in, shut, yeah. but yeah. they were they were allowed to seek asylum in the city yes. of Ava. Yeah, okay. Al- albeit briefly. Albeit, yeah, albeit for maybe two or three days. And halflings were able to escape from the city of Ava as well. They were, they were not wiped out. Mm. At this stage, there's so much loot floating around Gorbad's army that discipline starts to collapse. So he comes up with, again, a very orcish solution to a problem. He creates a group of or units of what's called biguns, which are these larger-than-normal orcs. In the game, they basically have plus one to their strength and they can have heavier armor, but they're the enforcers. They become the kind of orc police and they beat beat the troops back into some semblance of discipline. But it highlights the animosity that orcs feel towards each other. Each tribe feels not only Mm. to its own members internally, but to everyone else externally. So while this is like a lawnmower of an army destroying everything it touches, it's very, very fractious inside. It wouldn't take much, and in fact doesn't, to cause problems. On that topic then, how does their, I don't know if we touched on this in previous episodes, but how does the 
you know, the, the kind of sense or the strong sense of individualism that you see in the Skaven race, how does that compare to, to the orcs? Are they, are they really, are the, is the individual just out for itself or, you know, how, how does that work? Really kind of the younger orcs are followers. So they will follow anyone who's strong and who can lead them into battle. So an orc is driven by a lust for battle, a lust for loot, a lust for prestige, and wants to be able to cause, inspire fear, effectively, in other orcs. So, you know, respect, as it were. Do you think that's why you, you're such a big fan of them, Chris? Because of the loot. Well, yeah, and the desire for prestige and yes yeah, yeah 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 yeah. i'm yeah. always hankering after approval and praise <laughs> yeah and a fight <laughs> and a fight i love it i love that <laughs> i love it come at me bro I love so what about the older older orcs then what about them oh sorry yes <laughs> <laughs> and we're back in the room well fuck them <laughs> as orcs get older they get a sense of wanting to be a leader so as this, they become more and more powerful they want to take charge so you see a lot of challenges a lot of fights between larger orcs trying to assert dominance and this mm. I think ties back to the origin story of them in 40k where if there's a big enough group there'll be a leader and so that leader then has this idea to start a war or invade or conquer. And that's really what they're about. The orcs in their origins, certainly in their 40k origins, are a weapon. They are a weapon in and of themselves. A planet would be seeded and then they would cause disruption. And then the race that created the orcs would then come in and take over that planet. Right. Okay. So yeah, so it's very much follow the leader until you yourself can become the leader and then kill everyone who is a rival. In their psyche, do they have in their mind to do the thing that would be best for the race? You know, to to do the thing that's going to expand their power, like for the orcs as a whole? Or is that just a byproduct of them as an individual wanting to be the most powerful? It's the second one. It's the byproduct mm. of them becoming the most powerful. There is a racial identity, but there's no kind of... Bigger picture. Yeah, there's no desire for governance. Right, okay. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could draw a lot of parallels between them and the Skaven in terms of that kind of fierce sense of individualism. I, I feel like the Skaven are more self-aware, a bit more intelligent than yeah. the Orcs. There's a bit more to it. Yeah. They they value their numbers, whereas the Orcs are a bit more individualistic. Well, they don't value their numbers. So Darren said that they, they were quite happy to have you know entire warrens of tens of thousands wiped out because there are just so many of them, they don't care. As a race, they are, you know, as a race, you know, yeah. the graces will, will happily just throw away Skaven lives for the betterment of that. But I think orcs, well, maybe, you know, the generals and the leaders like Gorbad, maybe they had a, a, a higher sense of purpose and being. Maybe they saw that, that, and that was kind of, but that's where it, it kind of stopped. Other than that, I feel like the general orc population did not give a shit whether there were 10,000 of them or just them. They had their own agenda, yeah, you yeah. know, and they probably didn't realize when they were part of a war, they didn't realize it. They were just like, we're here, yeah. we're queer, get used it's to it. <laughs> <laughs> it, cer it certainly sounds like there's you know as as they kind of rise up the ranks within orcs that there's this process of kind of zooming out slightly 
Do you know what I mean? Like the rank and file work is, you know, is so zoomed in on their own individual experience that yeah. they're not really looking at the bigger picture. But then, you know, as they get older, they realize that power is only achieved through doing a number of things that are kind of that need a kind of expanded consciousness even. And sure. then they're able to kind of zoom out and see the bigger picture a little bit. Would you say that was accurate, Dar? Maybe. I'd say that the big difference between the two races, so without delving down into the kind of cultural identity of them, is fur. Orcs are wiped clean. Is that um, (laughs) there's no no representative government that's holding orcs together. The Skaven have the Council of Thirteen and the guidance of the Horned Rat. So there is a a hierarchy. Yeah, there's no orc hierarchy beyond violence. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. On, on an individual scale, I, I, you know, if you were to see the front lines of an orc army versus a Skaven army, I see the orc army as kind of, you know, orc foot soldier oblivious to his brothers in arms. He's just like, I'm here for the fight. I want to be there at the front. Whereas yeah, you look yeah. at the front line of a Skaven, they're kind of looking at each other, kind of safety in numbers kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I could get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Returning to the topic at hand. So, glutted and hugely fat and uh, swollen, but nonetheless whipped into some semblance of order, the army of Gorbad heads on towards the city of Nuln, which listeners will remember is where all the guns are made in the empire. Mm. So once again, a huge amount of refugees flood into the, the city and followed closely by the cavalry units of Gorbad's army and then Gorbad's army itself. So using the same tactics that they had at Averheim, where they just bombard the walls for a bit and then charge in full tilt, they shatter the walls in, again, one go. The defenders flee almost en masse to the other side of the River Reich, Nuln is at like a confluence of three rivers. So you have the River Aver coming in from the west. You have the Upper Reich coming in from the southwest. And then the River Reich running off to the east. So it's a key position, a clever place to build a city. But as the defenders flee, they destroy all the bridges. So the Orc army is once again held to the southern edge. But the orcs learned an important lesson from the conquest of the Moot, and they built their own flotillas. So much like that bit in Lord of the Rings, you had all these orcs on shitty-looking rafts coming over a huge river and invading the other side. How are orcs with water? They, I mean, they drown. They love it. Absolutely love it. They get moist for water. They're like, oh, you show an orc a water park, loses his fucking shit. (laughs) Hello, have you ever tried grouting your green skin? Well, Orgnar Hammerstrike has, and he's with us now. Tell us about it, Orgnar. <laughs> there is grime everywhere. Like I kill myself, and the, the greens can disappear. <laughs> exactly, it's fucking impossible. At least that was the case until Groutskin's greenskin grouting gun came along. With the greenskin grouting gun, filling in your greenskin's cracks has never been easier. Simply line the little bastard up in the sights, pull the trigger, and bam! Your greenskin is nailed to the wall and covered head to toe in your favorite grouch. 
Simply leave for 15 minutes to set and wipe clean. Hey presto, one fully grouted greenskin. I still don't understand why we need to grab him. <laughs> oh, there, there. The greenskin grouting gun by Groutskin. Because why the fuck not? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. <laughs> Eventually, though, there's enough orcs get over the other side of the river that the city falls. Once again, the defenders flee in the face of the overwhelming numbers, and they flee to the city of Altdorf, the capital. Frustrated by the hassles of getting a whole army across a river, Gorbad gets his army to continue east. So they get into uh, Wizenland, which is the next province over. Rewinding uh, back to the Siege of Nolm, of course, we know there's Undernolm inhabited by the Skaven. In that instance, I, I don't know if Undernolm even exists at this point, at this time in the, in, in the Warhammer calendar, but if a city like Nolm, where you also have a Skaven undercity, is getting attacked by the Orcs, would the Skaven realize this and take advantage of that situation and go, oh, they're being attacked. Let's go, 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 go. And then also attack from underneath. I know, of course, there are stories of wars and sieges of the Skaven proactively using greenskins to attack from uh, above whilst they are attacking from below. But kind of spinning it around, would the Skaven take advantage of the fact that they, they've just clocked on that Nolm, for example, is being attacked? And so they may just quickly throw together a force to try and attack from below as well? The answer is I'm not sure. I think that Skaven are very, yes, they're very opportunistic. So I could, I could absolutely see it happening. It would part and parcel of their tactics in the past. But at this time, they're still recovering somewhat from being decimated by their own plague. If you recall, the Black Plague mutated and thinned their ranks. Yeah, they were in the midst of their fifth lockdown, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> and so not only are they still rebuilding, but they're embracing the idea of not being seen. They don't want to be known that they exist. Uh, I think, again, this ties back to the racial differences between Skavens and Orcs. Skavens have long plans. The Council mm. of Thirteen as it stands just now, are something like 300, 400 years old. So their plans go ahead that far. There's no mention of them during Wa Gorbad, but that's not to say there were not opportunistic attacks from Underknown. Yeah, so as the Wa heads towards Wizenland, the emperor, Sigismund, is beseeching the northern provinces for aid, but effectively, as I said before, the southern territories are now just simply abandoned. So the Adolphus of Wizenland, the Elector Count, pairs up with his neighbour, Eldred of Solent. So they combine their forces and just go pell-mell right at the army, attacking it head-on, at the Battle of Solent's Crown. Excellent. Regrettably, it's once again a huge victory for Gorbad. The army of the Empire is effectively halved, as is the Elector Count Eldred of Solent. He is simply cut in half by Gorbad, who snatches the crown from the Elector Count's head and puts it on his own head and then takes his runefang, takes the sword of Solent, oh, the, the kind of yeah. symbolic sword that Sigmar received from the dwarves as thanks. Um, yes. He now then bolts that to his shield, 
not immediately, obviously, he finishes the battle and then has it bolted to its shield. There's a miniature for Gorbad Ironclaw, and we'll put that in the show notes, but on the miniature, he has a back pole, which has the, the rune fang at the top, and then the electrocount skull and the crown on top of the skull. It's, it's pretty thematic. Wow. It's quite wonderful. <laughs> That's a real stack. <laughs> so while the rest of his army is destroying the Empire army, his grunter, which is his huge war boar that he rides, which is called Narla, eats the remains of the Count of Soland and thus wow. passes the rulership of that province. There's just more decimation then. He raises very much a kind of scorched earth policy. He hoovers up everything around him, which leads to the destruction of the electoral province of Wizenland. It's just simply wiped off the map. Pretty much it's just left with kind of a huge muddy patch where it used to be. This leaves Gorbad at a kind of crossroads because he can continue hoovering around the empire, but he just decides to go for it. He just attacks Altdorf, which is the capital city of the empire. Again, refugee after refugee piles into another city. It gets very crowded. There's a shortage of food because a lot of the provinces that have been conquered are farmlands. So Sigismund, the emperor, decides, do you know what, fuck it, we're just going to see if we can cut the head off the beast. Because historically, if you kill the largest greenskin, the army breaks. And they only just thought of that now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've just remembered, I've just remembered, There's after <laughs> several cities falling and hundreds of thousands of citizens dying, yeah, we just need to kill the biggest dude. Yep. Duh. Solid. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Solid strategy, Sigismund. So Sigismund sends out the three greatest military orders that he has. These are knightly orders, so very much like the Knights Templar, that kind of concept. So he sends out the Reichsguard, which are his own personal elite bodyguard. He sends out the remains of the Knights Panther, which are these huge crusading knights dressed in the skins of panthers and armor. They're not like Tarzaning it on horseback with lances. Um, <laughs> dressed up like Teletubbies. <laughs> Teletubbies. <laughs> <laughs> and they're joined by the Knights of the Blazing Sun, who is this elite warrior uh, priest of uh, Myrmidia, the goddess, which you'll remember, of course, from earlier episodes. How many are we talking here? You've got these three elite groups. How? What's their numbers? You're probably looking at somewhere between 1,500 to 4,000 knights from each order. From each order. Wow. Okay. So it's, it's not an insignificant amount, but you've got to remember these guys are worth four or five orcs each, but they're still hugely outnumbered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what they're trying to do and what they succeed in doing, certainly at the, at the Battle of Grunberg, is that they effectively call out Gorbad. So you've got to remember, his army is preceded by all these cavalry types. So you've got the Goblin Wolf Riders and the Orc Cavalry, the Orc War Boar Cavalry. And he himself is leading the War Boars. So this battle is unique in terms that it's almost completely mounted troops that are involved. So you've got Wolf Riders, Spider Riders, and the Boar Riders from the Orc side. And then you've got the three... Nightly orders. And the unicycle riders. 
<laughs> the juggle at the same time. The pogo stick riders. <laughs> so in this, Adolphus makes a beeline for Gorbad and successfully impales him through the chest with the rune fang sword from Wizenland. This irritates Gorbad. He's not angry, he's just irritated by it. So with a great roar, <laughs> he pulls the sword from his chest and as he pulls it, he pulls the arm of uh, the Elector Count out of its socket. Ooh. Why didn't he just let go? Well, it happened so quickly. All right, okay, fine. Yeah, okay, cool. Hold on. Sorry, I thought he already had the rune fang. Is yeah, this he, had he... The rune, he had the rune fang from the Elector Count of Solund. This is the Elector Count of Wizenland. Oh, of course, yeah, because there's multiples, aren't there? These are the swords yeah. that were given to them by the dwarves, right? Yeah, there's, there's 12 of them, yeah. Gotcha, okay. So, the Reichsguard come to the aid of the Electrocount of Wizenland. They're able to get him out of there alive, and they're able to rescue the Rune Sword because now they're aware that the orcs are starting to grab weapons of note. And they flee back to Altdorf. And then. <laughs> and that's it. Well, thank you everyone for listening. <laughs> and then No and then. Yes. <laughs> so as uh, Gorbad is uh, wounded, he's not himself, shall we say, but he's super eager now to get his hands on on the capital. So he's raging that his army is so slow. So as it catches up to the site of the battle, he may, then makes them march at triple pace to get to Altdorf in time before they can reorganize their defenses. They arrive at Altdorf to find the walls manned not just by archers, but also by well-trained state troops from northern provinces, huge amounts of elite great swords. You're starting to see a lot of handgunners there as well, and early cannons. So it's not going to be an easy conquest for him. And it isn't, because he relies again on outnumber the enemy and then charge. But it doesn't work the first time, and it doesn't work the second time, and third time, and tenth time, and twentieth time. He keeps throwing his army against the walls of Altdorf, which not just only are well defended by well-equipped troops, but they're also magically defended by the Colleges of Magic. And so they undergo horrific losses, and easily a third of the Orc Wa lies dead at the base of the walls of the capital city of Altdorf. Wow. This, understandably, breeds resentment within Gorbad's army. So as the days go on, it starts becoming an artillery battle. So you're seeing these really accurate rock lobbers and bolt throwers from the orc side, you know, the ones that were trained on halflings, versus the cannons of the empire. So you're starting to see huge columns of troops just be splattered open through the orc ranks. So when uh, when they're lobbing rocks, the rock lobbing, rock lobster, what, do the <laughs> does the magical protection do anything against lobbed rocks? The, the magical defense, really, from anyone who's had a look at the, a book called Warhammer Siege, one of the original ones from the third edition, the magical protection is against enemy magic. So uh, you know it's okay. not it's not really mentioned in this description, but as the wires going on, you have all this psychic energy battering around the place. So you have all these shaman 
trying to cast spells and what have you and destroy using the power of Gork and Mork, but it, it's not working because the walls right. are so shielded, magically shielded. I mean, right. the walls will be tougher than normal because there will be some magical reinforcement, but it, they're not impenetrable. They just right. haven't it's been penetrated. Like a, right. It's not like a, 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 a physical force field. It's nothing like that. No, nothing like that. Yeah, okay, right. okay. So as this artillery battle is going on, entire tribes start deserting Gorbad's army because effectively the Waz ground to a halt. It's been stopped in its tracks. And as they leave, they not only take all their manpower, but they take the loot with them. So the opportunities for theft and gaining rich, gaining power, are starting to disappear as well. Worse for Gorbad, the wound caused by the runefang isn't healing. Partly because it's a magical wound from a magical weapon designed to kill its enemies. Unlike all the other weapons, which aren't designed to do that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just there as a warning. <laughs> Fundamentally, then, it comes down to there's one last trick that Gorbad has up his sleeves. From the rear of the camp, these huge wagons are rolled forward and they come to the front lines and all the chains are removed. And as they're removed, it's revealed a whole squadron, in quotes, of wyverns or wyverns. I'm just going to keep saying wyverns are released. These are beasts, again, that have been either been raised from birth or dominated by an orc shaman or an orc warlord. And they just go to town on the battlements and the skies above the town of Altdorf. So you've, you've, you can imagine huge winged monsters like scraping battlements clean, attacking cannon crews, dragging cannons off into the sky and dropping them on unsuspecting halfling survivors who thought they'd gotten away with everything four times. <laughs> you see this Got big it. shadow cast over them. <gasps> what yeah. the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's not oh a baguette. Oh my god, it's a cannon um, run! <laughs> so as as this tactic takes hold the beasts attacking the walls there's a renewed kind of roar from the orcs and they rush forward while the battle is happening one of these wyverns gets winged by an arrow or a bullet it doesn't really say and it falls into the imperial palace um oh, so it crashes through the roof of the emperor's palace and for several hours goes I think the best way to describe it is fucking mental. It, it's like having a rhino in a kindergarten. It just goes insane. It's oh, trampling Jesus. everything. It's crashing through walls. Oh, There's bits of God. children hanging off of horns and skin. And Hamsters oh. are happy that the kids are dead, but they're also still trapped in an electrocuting cage. It's just... Being attacked by a wyvern. Yeah, being attacked by a wyvern. <laughs> They're like, bring us back the static TV, please. Yeah. <laughs> so this thing's going mental. And eventually the wyvern crashes into the throne room, looks at the emperor, and chomp, just bites him. Wow. And it, it's described as in, with terrifying screams and sickening crunches, the emperor is chewed and swallowed. Jesus Christ. So Gorbad inadvertently has successfully killed his toughest opponent, albeit using a wyvern. Um, if it works, it works, though. 
Yeah, if it works, it works. Unfortunately, this sends the Reichsguard into a fucking frenzy. These are the bodyguards, the elite knights of the of the Empire. And as word spreads of the death of the Emperor, all the human soldiers get a renewed sense of vengeance, and they just absolutely beat the orcs to a standstill. The Reichsguard take charge of the defences, and one by one, the wyverns are either killed or some very fat wyverns flew away because they were full of human goodness. (laughs) (laughs) With the death of the wyverns, that was the real last trick that Gorbad had, and there really were no further successes for him at the Battle of Altdorf. And with that, the siege was broken, and as it broke, his wa just fractured into the the constituent tribes and they all just started marching off and he was left leading the remnants of his own ironclaw tribe plus the broken tooth tribe if you'll recall that he conquered and he marched back along the same path he came up through so he went back along the river headed back down south back along the old dwarf road constantly being attacked not only by other greenskins who were trying now to take his you know it's one thing to be gorbad ironclaw it's another thing to be the orc warlord that killed gorbad ironclaw uh, Mm. and took Mm. over his tribe and gained all his loot but as the orc tribes were fleeing they were moving quite quickly because they were also being pursued by vengeful citizens from wizenland and from soland and from averland all the provinces that had been devastated so as the tribes fled, they abandoned their loot. So you end up having huge treasure troves just being abandoned in the middle of a muddy field or a forest or what have you. And so it became very profitable to be following. Yeah, certainly profitable, but very dangerous to be following an orc tribe as it fled the empire. That really is where Gorbad's story ends he is last heard of at the Battle of Blood Peak, where he's trying to get through Blackfire Pass back into the Border Princes and then back to the Iron Peak. But while all his conquests, while the Wa had been carrying on in the Empire, the dwarves were watching. The dwarves were taking note. And they recalled through the Book of Grudges that he had been nothing short of an asshole to them. So he <laughs> uh, he was brought to heel, and the last record of him was he was fighting, surrounded by a dwarf army, him and his clan, at the Battle of Blood Peak, and then he passes from history. There's no further mention of him. The only other thing that is of note of Wagorbad is that hundreds of years later, the rune fang of Soland was found in the horde of a troll in the World's Edge Mountains and returned to the Empire. So the odds are he died, as all orcs should. Wow. And they all lived happily ever after. And that is the tale of Gorbad Ironclaw. Well, holy moly. May he rest in pieces. And that was <laughs> nice. the um and that was the third largest war in Warhammer Fantasy history, was it? Yes, third largest. And it consisted of how many numbers? Was that like 300,000, half a million? I would say uh, somewhere between a quarter to half a million orcs. Uh, A quarter and half a million greenskins. Wow. 
plus wow. wyverns plus ogres yeah. as well. Plus plus plus. Okay, and that was the third largest. Okay, just to yeah. just to quantify. It. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cool. Wow. So yeah. So his demise is all a bit. It's all a bit mysterious, isn't it? Like because there was no more mention of the fact that his wound from the second rune fang didn't heal. And so was he still wounded when he was fighting the dwarfs? Yeah, he was still wounded. It, 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 the injuries from a rune fang don't heal unless they're magically treated. And th- it seems odd to me that he'd be fighting the dwarves who, I mean, Christ almighty, they keep a record of grudges for fuck's sake. They surely would have yeah. kept a record of his demise. How does he just suddenly disappear? Well, it's a, it's not perhaps that they didn't keep a grudge. It's if the dwarves were able to tick that box, so check that grudge, as it were, off their list, it, it's a dwarven matter for dwarves. They're not going to communicate it. Um, okay. Yeah, but okay. I mean, but that—that's really the orcs all over. They rise to power and then they fall. It's—they it, either fall immediately, mm. killed by a, an enemy hero, or they, you know, go out with a whimper, not a bang. I am a bit disappointed that like somebody didn't fucking ride out from Aldorf and stab him in his face. Have one of them, you bastard. Well, they, they did, but it didn't kill him. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. So, Kral, I mean, how how do you feel about that? Because, you know, you obviously expressed slight dissatisfaction at a previous episode. Well, I mean, that was a that was a bit more it was a bit more kind of like orky grit there, wasn't it? That was a bit more orc yeah, focused than it was human definitely. focused. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, they were there out to end the human civilizations, were they? But still, yeah, I mean, as I said a moment ago, I think I'm coming to terms with the fact that part of the orc law and their character and their story in the warhammer fantasy setting is they inevitably fall because they just keep going until they can't get, go no more and they will eventually find an enemy be it human another race or another species that will best them at the end of the day so they will yeah. be defeated the less in depth and got less substance than the only other race that we've talked about so far, the Skaven. So, yeah, we'll see as we keep going. But at the moment, I'm kind of less into the Orcs in the Warhammer Fantasy as I am in other other franchises, other IPs at the moment. They're cool. They are what they are. I like their simplicity. If I was a Greenskin, what Greenskin would I be? There's Benog, leader of the Iron Quiff tribe. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to mention something about hair quiff quiffage, then, but it wasn't coming. Darren, it if come. Kral, if Kral was a green skin, what green skin would he be? Noblar, Noblar. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> that whole thing was just a setup so one of us could whisper Noblar. <laughs> Noblar. Dar, I think you would be a cunt, a hobnob goblin. No, we already (laughs) know what green skin Darren would be. He'd be from the Top Knot tribe. Oh yeah, shit, he's the Top Knot tribe, isn't he? (gasps) Not today. Today, today, it's a uh, a midlife crisis ponytail tribe. All right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about the topics we've discussed in this podcast, you can find all the reference articles in the show notes or on our website at layingdownthelore.com. You can also reach us on our socials, and we've got lots of bonus material available via our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash laying down the lore. 
We'll be back again next month displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, ta-ta. See you later. 100%. Um,